Welcome back, my friends, to the format you're all familiar with. It's Motorhead Monthly, the only monthly Motorhead podcast. And this episode, we are looking at the album Orgasmatron. Orgasmatron was released 9th of August, 1986, and its peak UK chart position was 21. Lemmy, Phil Campbell, Wurzel, and Pete Gill are the lineup for this album. Before we get to the episode, I just want to shout out a few people on the Twitters. Our Twitter account, Moto Monthly, is really getting the word out there, and that was all thanks to the suggestion of our friends over at the Sabbath Bloody Podcast, the Black Sabbath Podcast. Their Twitter handle is Sabbath Bloody PC, and their show is available on iTunes and where all good shows are. Also, while we're shouting people out on the Twitters, Lemonium Metal, at Millennium Metal, the biggest Motorhead fan community on Twitter, working together to build a legacy and are rocking out with Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons while doing it. Good place to go for all you Twitter fans. Now, anyway, 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 teeny bit of information. We've got another interview coming up for the next episode after this one in January, and it is pretty big. It is with a well-known band, a still-touring band, that have opened for Motorhead, and someone who is in that band, who I can't share the name of because it will give away the surprise of who it is, comes on the show to talk to us about Motorhead. Really look forward to getting some feedback on this one and putting it out there because he was a great guy and it was a great band and it was a good time. But that's all next month. This month, Orgasmatron. The opinions are divided once again. Let's listen and see what we think. If you want to tell us what you think, give your feedback at Moto Monthly, the Motorhead Monthly Podcast Twitter account. That's enough of me yabbering. Now listen to me and Matt yabbering, I guess. We are Motorhead's probably my next album to try and get because it's quite rare. First Motorhead album I ever had was a Christmas present. I think mine might have been Inferno. To be fair, Inferno's boss. Well, I think um, We Are is one of the best albums as well. It's just there's so much stuff going on on that, man. A lot of different speeds and sounds, but they're all awesome. But that's not what we're here to talk about today, is it? Oh, cold intro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the album of the day is Orgasmatron. There's so much stuff to unpack before we get to the actual album. There is. The other thing I've just noticed, it doesn't say Orgasmatron on the cover, does it? No, sir, it does no, not. It no, it, uh, it's just a big train. <laughs> <laughs> so, is the train the Orgasmatron? <laughs> well, surely it'd be the Orgasmatrain. <laughs> I am the train, Orgasmatrain. <laughs> The outstretched grasping rain. And it, and it starts. <laughs> like, this is the problem with this album already. Oh, man. Uh, oh, well, okay, so talking about the cover, it's. Uh, it, I like the fact that it's got the Ace of Spades, like, nailed in the side there. The rivets cool. are dead cool, yeah, doing that. Like, rivets are metal. Everyone knows, huh? Is it Joe Fetagano again? Like, it's one of his. It's probably the best cover actually it's not because another perfect day is the best cover <laughs> but like it's probably the second best he's properly hitting his strides with his his work on this now because oh, these albums cool. are amazing the closer you get into the detail like you can see like the uh his front teeth but like not his fangs are like got this weird like worn like texture to them there's little bits of magma coming out from the smoke tunnel at the top there and it's like that that red's offset in the corners Oh, that is cool. I've never, because I think I've only seen it on CDs before, but it, when you get a, a big copy to sort of look at, it does look, like, really cool. Let down a bit by the back of it, though. The back <laughs> of it's not very good, is it? No, that's definitely, uh, you know, 80s 
that it, that photo pose. looks like it's from like the seventies. <laughs> it looks terrible. It's this is the eighties, but we're a band that have been around since the seventies. Yes. Metal pose, isn't it? Or with the denim, just perms the as well. Uh, perms everywhere. That is a bad shout that by the lads. But speaking of the lads, right? So last album was another perfect day. After that, there was a live compilation album of No Remorse. Yeah, that's. The story goes that. Actually, do we want to talk about the lineup changes first? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying yeah. because the that's the last the compilation. No remorse is the last one officially with bronze, but does that have the same lineup? It just doesn't have Phil Taylor's on some of that, not on all of it. He'll be he's on all of the existing recordings and not the new ones. Oh, right. But it includes, it includes stuff from Another Perfect Day, so Robbo's on there as well. Right, all right then. So, what happened, Matt? Why did everyone leave this band all of a sudden? Robbo. <laughs> Fucking Robbo Robinson. <laughs> that bastard has just ruined it for everybody. Well, Robbo decided to leave. I think we discussed this last time, where there's... He, he doesn't quite fit in. He fits in musically, kind of, even though Lemmy doesn't like his work ethic in the studio. Because he works too hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, they didn't like him on on stage, and the fans didn't really take to him. So he, he kind of decided to leave. And Phil was quite good friends with him, and he you just left with him. He, well, how, it was, would you, how could you do that to Lemmy? Why would you leave Motorhead to just be like, oh, I like the musicianship of this fella. I'll go play. Him. I don't think he he left to necessarily go. And, because of Robbo, but I think he got to a point where, right, we've had six albums now. I think it's time for me to call it a day. But it kind of doesn't make sense in the scheme of things as well, because he'll be back quite soon after this. Mm-hmm. It's only like one album that he's not on, and then he's back. Yeah. But, I don't know, I can, I can see that he might have needed a break. Um... So when trying to replace Robbo, because Robbo's irreplaceable, they auditioned a few guitarists and they couldn't decide between Phil Campbell and Wurzel. So they decided Wurzel. to take them both on. So what's Wurzel's deal? What band did he come from? He was known on the pubs and clubs scene. So Weirdly, so they just sort of found him. Yeah, it, it does say in the, the books there that Lemmy said, like, I've had enough of quote-unquote musicians, we're just going to get an unknown and we'll go from there. Like he didn't like the, the, the baggage that he brought with them. He, like, at this point, maybe he realised the way to run the ship is to be the one who's the captain and everyone respects you, the captain, because you've been doing it longer. Like, that might have been a problem when it was the trio because like, they started at the same time, so who's Lemmy to be the one saying this is how it's going to go, you know what I mean? But yeah. now with the new guys he was giving a big break to, they'll be just happy to be there. Yeah, I mean, I think Phil's been in bands. They must have both been in bands, but nothing any... Nothing's taken off. Nothing nothing major, but... But Pete Gill, who's on this album that we're doing today, was in Saxon, and yes. he was in the early days of Saxon, and Saxon, as I recall, were quite a big thing for a bit in the yeah. British wave of metal, aren't they? Yeah. Well, probably what is it? British, new wave, British... New wave of British heavy metal. New wave of British heavy metal. There you go. Nwawa. Nwamba. Nwamba. <laughs> Thank you. But so... Yeah, it's, it's an odd choice, but I can... I can see why they got two guitarists, because apparently... I can, do you know what? I'll fuck this up. I'll get these the wrong way around. Apparently, Phil was more like Eddie. He mm-hmm. had a style of that was more like Eddie, where it was more sort of punk influence and quite fast. And Wurzel was more 
of a Robo type. Yeah. That would like craft his solos and stuff rather mm. than just throwing throwing himself into them. Everything, so you can see why they did it. Because I think even though Lenny hates the production on Another Perfect Day and he hated working with Robbo, I think he realised that quite a good album came out of it and it gave the band a depth. And rather than lose that along with Robbo, he was trying to bring people on who could, you know, capture the early success of the band from like Ace of Spades and Bomber and Overkill, but also to sort of bring on this this new this new style and this yeah. new, this new kind of sound and songwriting that they got on another perfect day they didn't want to lose that straight away yeah that adds see up why they with that. what they say in uh, the studio book and the uh, white line fever and everything like with the addition of Pete Gill he was a quote unquote a strict drummer but like that meant that he he realized that as soon as he found like the band his place was not to do fancy fills and like all, all experimental wild mad shit it was like just to play along to what lemmy's doing like space it out when needed you know i can, I can see that because he is he is a constant drummer because like he's got the double bass down and everything because that's it fits the sort of style of the album because you do get that that double bass that almost mm. it's almost like it's almost it almost is like a train yeah. at times <laughs> it really sounds like it going along like the tracks and everything so so you can see that, but again, that he doesn't go nuts on the fills or anything. He is a very good drummer, but he just doesn't go mad like Phil did. Before we get to the songs, uh, the two, two interesting facts. It was the first uh, album that was produced by you know, Americans. They usually just got some lads from the local scene, but this was yeah. done by Bill Lawson. Laswell. <laughs> Bill Laswell was producer and engineered by Jason Jason Caresso, and, and more about that later. But... <laughs> Also, uh, guess how long it was recorded in? I'm gonna say six weeks. Eleven days. Eleven days. Eleven days. <laughs> yeah, they rehearsed twice a day for two weeks, over and over again. The album, track for track, over and over again, and then got in the studio. It's like quick, 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 get it done, get it done. And this. It's like, only ten tracks, so they just averaging just, <laughs> just eleven days track. for one album. And let's start listening to some because I want to see what eleven days sounds like. What's track one? It's Death Forever. Stone! 
I'm a fan of that. It's bosses. Man. Yeah, man. I think this is a very, even though it was all 86, this. Yeah. It's a very 90s metal sound. It is. It's a bit ahead of the curve. It's like Another Perfect Day was a, a bit ahead of the curve or in the wrong genre. In the, the yeah. <laughs> Whereas this is like the rock and roll sound of the 90s. It's It's got a very hip-hop metal yeah. sound to it, which I think it's been described as. It does sound cool. Like It's almost like a reverse echo on the drums at times when it's just the guitar kicking it as well. It really works on this song. I can't say the same for other songs. <laughs> this is like part of the engineering that they were like liked bits of, but then hated the rest of. Yeah, like you could, this is this. This would have sounded fresh in in the two thousands. It's a great like opening song, isn't it? Because it's so like, oh, that's a weird, cool sound, and it's a a nice war song, you know. The, it's the mix is like really good on it as well. It's just, the levels just work really well in this. The guitars are the right the right sound lemmy's voice is piercing over the top everything but it sits really well and it's one of the few songs it really works on on the album mm. unfortunately you can start hearing the the benefit of having two guitars in this as well really. yeah it's, um it was the single off this record as well was it yeah, oh, yeah. Well, there you apparently. go apparently i was reading here as well um there was a competition so, original vinyl releases of this album contained a postcard with a competition to win a Sony Discman and Motorhead's new CD album, Orgasmatron. Do you want to know the questions? Yeah, so of course. Right. I, I haven't got the answer, so we, we won't be able to tell if you're right or not. So, number one, which member of Motorhead wears a strapless bra underneath <laughs> the stage clothes? Number two, which um, member of Motorhead has two adorable little bunnies <laughs> called Mopsy and Garfunkel? <laughs> Three, do you think there is a valid place for Motorhead to occupy in today's urban military industrial <laughs> wasteland? True or false? And number four, do you feel that Motorhead say one thing one minute and then out the other? <laughs> Specify inside leg measurements. I wonder who won that and, and how and why. <laughs> what the answers why? were. <laughs> why would the end? Well, it's a good thing they've got a sense of humour when they're writing these uh, weird-ass songs about the battle's din. What does din mean? It's a, le- a very loud noise. I... It's the loud noise of battle. I always like singing along to this for so many years and never knew what the word was. I was trying, dead forever till the battles win. Dead till <laughs> the battles wooden, skim. But... Skim limb. I think Lemmy's fully embraced the egg there. I'm just going to write songs about war, lads, aspect yeah. of his career at this point. There's um, the way... The verses are crafted as well. It's not just, it's not just a line and then the rhyme and couplets that we're sort of used to. It sort of breaks in the line and it is almost listing it, but mm. it just it just works. I have it like with the uh, the shout noises on it as well. Yeah. Mother Earth, oh, like, would you call that a gang vocal? Or not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very early days. I mean, yeah, I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Definitely, definitely the one of the. It's really strong opener, really strong. What about the next track though? Nothing up my sleeve.
you know, you listen to a song so many times and you're like, yeah, that's fine. And then you sit there and you look at the lyrics while the song's playing and you go, ugh, <laughs> really? It is. Because the, ca- the chorus is quite catchy. Nothing up my sleeve, I can I can get behind that, but then when it's just like a, you look at it in terms of like a story about a magician, a horny <laughs> magician, it's just, ugh, no. The, uh, a wandering, an adulterous wife. <laughs> it's, it's really odd. It's just he's, I don't know why. I guess he's he's just found like the uh, the nothing up my sleeve. It's like the catchphrase, and it's like oh, I can write a song around that catchphrase. And the song's evolved into being about a magician, and he's then instead of made like that as like a metaphor for a magician on the pull, he's put a magician in a monogamous relationship. It's just um, the more I think about this, like the the worse it gets. <laughs> it is. This is why I think this album is the smell the glove. Of motorhead yeah. albums, there's like so, there's That's so a very many strong statements, you know, it's not, and that that song backs that statement up. <laughs> it's a nice little riff. And it, the riff's cool. The and everything. The and as you say, it's obviously built around the chorus. Yeah, to look at it in context of the the lyrics, uh... there's just it's they're obviously trying. He's trying to fit. He's stuffing me in half, that... babe. That's quite the trick. You make me laugh, babe. You make me sick. It's. It's just soaring in half. That'll do. <laughs> um, what else is it? It's like your sleight of hand or something. You know your sleight of hand is messing up my life. See, that, Maybe that this kind time, babe, you're going to get it right. That kind of works. It's like, you know, you sleight of hand, you know, you're going off and doing this. But then the soaring in half lyric makes it's, <laughs> it's like taking it to the next Yeah, the metaphor like, oh, is just like being ran yeah. like totally into the ground. It's like, oh, fuck it. That's the two in magic. And the other thing as well... This this will happen again. This exact thing will happen again <laughs> later on this album. But what's the last line of the chorus? It's just like that. It's fucking Tommy <laughs> Cooper joke. The end of the chorus. Well, then he had a sense of humour. You know, he would have been a fan of Tommy Cooper, I think. And I do like the motorhead humour, but I mean, it's just it's that's too on the nose, I think. But the the other thing I wanted to talk about with this is like. We were praising how good the mix was on the mm-hmm. first song, and it just takes a massive nosedive on this song. What the hell is that like harmonica sound that's coming out of the guitars? Yeah, uh, it's it's just, it's almost like the the bass has just been cranked all the way to the top, and because the guitars aren't playing like a bottom E or a bottom D or something like that, it's just it just doesn't work. It's it just doesn't sound right. Is this the time to mention the the band's take on the mixing? Yes, it will be um <laughs> will be a good time. Um, I think it's in the guts and the glory when Phil's talking about this, because the rough mix they were really happy with, because it was I Joe. I hope somewhere out there that mix still exists. I'd really like to hear it. <laughs> um, and it got sent off to America, to to be mastered or or something like mixed and mastered. And it came back like this. And apparently they were all really proud of it and had a load of bottles of champagne, which slowly <laughs> got pushed story. under the mixing desk as the um, as the listening party went on. Yeah. And that's the thing, because it works so well. You can imagine them like putting it on and going, oh, yeah, that John Watt Death Forever sounds like Rick. You can, you can imagine like, them going, John, <laughs> it sounds really good. But then like thinking, 
why does the guitar sound like that? <laughs> why? <laughs> why are you making all these weird ass choices? Yeah, why like, the, what are why you the drums to... sounding like that? The I... way the way Lemmy put it was um he the producer was trying to put his stamp on it and he should he shouldn't have done that. He he should have put his that. stamp on it the, the way that like a stamp on a metal album. Like he was trying to make it sound like something he'd done and he'd done so many random things like Mick Jagger and Pill and stuff, and it's like this. This isn't them, mate. This isn't uh, this is a metal album for Motorhead. See, that's the thing that that really sort of grates on me because I've got album, which this is when Public Image were going through their this. It's a corporation. It's not a band phase. It's a business. So they released album, which the vinyl release is called album. There's cassettes, hmm. the cassettes <laughs> and compact disc. How avant brilliance. Um, but that's probably Pell's most commercially successful album. Like a lot of people argue, like the early stuff is musically better. But like I really like album because I like that later stage of Pill when it's a bit more accessible. Um, but I mean, the mix on that has got to be balanced so delicately because you've got it's not heavy music. It's they're far gone from punk and everything. It's very sort of post punk, very sort of almost delicate sort of sounds and instruments on that and then you've got John Lydon's like really rasping vocals over it but it's mixed so well it really fits so it's just odd that it's like they've obviously crafted that so carefully hmm. and well and then Motorhead comes in where as we said earlier everything louder than everything else and they fucked it up <laughs> and I don't understand how yeah um, maybe I'll get better as it goes on. That's the thing. I think I think it's fifty fifty on this album. There's some stuff it works for, some stuff it doesn't. What about Ain't My Crime? <laughs> Picture being in the recording studio when that's going on, we're like, oh, that sounds different. That's cool. They, how are they to know like that wouldn't age well? You know, given like as, as time went on in the Motorhead catalog, it's like this is the sound that works. This is what people like. Let's just keep doing this. You know, we'll throw one track on the album that's different, and then we'll just make the the heavy riff, cool vocals deal. You know what I'm saying? Like the guitar solo bits and that are very striking, aren't they? Yeah, it's there's one bit where it's almost it's not really a solo. It's before I think the last verse kicks in, and it almost sounds like they slow the tape down at one point. Yeah, on it, it does. Where it's like, mm. 
I don't know why. I don't know if this is like part of the mixing process or something where it all fucked up. I don't know. It's do you know what? It's not a bad riff and everything, but this is another song where the mix just really lets it down. Yeah. Like the bass is just. I mean, we we like the bass being like loud because we know it doesn't work on on some of the other albums when it is turned too high, or or when it is turned too low. Sorry, but when this when it's turned up, like the guitars have have no effect on the song and it's got this weird when they're playing higher up it almost sounds like they're playing the harmonica Hmm. or something you can really hear it on the tail end of the riff and it's it it doesn't ruin the song but you just think if you tweaked it slightly it's it would hold up better. It's ideas that look good on paper album in it, and these songs still work live as well i think that's the takeaway from this album they just strip it of all the unnecessary components when they do it live. Yeah, like the um, there is some there is some cool things like the vocals. of you said they were double tracked, and it always sounds like they've got an echo on there. It does oh, it yeah. does make it sound a bit bigger. This is a, a Lemmy having a go at singing this album as well. It's yeah. it's really you can you can see what he's trying to get those notes and he's he's not getting them. Like, yeah. But you know it, it it all adds to the oh this is a bit of a different sound or this is a sound of the time. Hmm. It's just not one that we necessarily needed to stick with. Yeah, I mean, the other thing as well is the last track was about the problem that the magician was having <laughs> with his adulterous wife. And this song is I, I, about a man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. I can't argue his... that. But at the same time, I've got no problem with that. It's just the classic, like, you know, uh, Ain't My Crime song. It's just the classic Ain't My Crime song. Yeah. You know? It's what's the the part that I like, uh, the last bit... Uh, uh, show me to the door, here I go again. I've seen it all before, happens now and then. No tears in your eyes, sure ain't none of mine. Two people in the skies, frozen in time. It's nice. It's, it's, it's well put together. It is. It's, that's a nice little couple. It, it sound, when you say it on its own, it sounds like quote-unquote poetic. Yeah. But it's again, it's the same thing. Of that. Fuck you, I don't need you, I'm moving on. And yeah. Out of here. <laughs> yeah. Hot chicks and cars, that's what rock and roll songs are. That's what they should be. And about, you know, murderous machines, which... Mm. Maybe we'll get some of in the claw, which is, oh, it's just the it's just claw. I thought it was the claw. There you go. Cool intro.
So that is The Claw, or just Claw, and uh, it's a song about Lemmy stealing people's beds. It's about his dick. Well, his, his dick's The Claw. Okay, yeah. yeah. I thought, like, just the metaphorical moving on the bed was, moving on someone else's woman was like, I'm going to get my claw in there when the other guy's not looking and I'm going to take her. But oh, yeah, oh, he's clawing her with his dick. Fair yeah. enough, okay. You know, it's like in a lot of the Motorhead songs, Lemmy uses the like the analogy of just literally just walking out the door all the time. <laughs> it's just like, I'm, I, yeah. He, he's always writing about the exit, isn't he? It seems to be like his, his second favourite motif after a card game, you know? He's just... He spent that much time on the road, I guess. He's, that's pretty much what he thinks about all the time. You know? Yeah, I suppose they're... they're this is the coming off the three years of being on the road to do this yeah. album. And three years of doing nothing but gigging. That's rough. Yeah. It's, it's... I'm not a fan of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, are, there are ideas there again. If we're doing this weird... Uh, ah! Thing again. Ah! I, yeah. I, I can't even call it gang vogel because it doesn't sound very gang like. It's... I don't know if it's an oi or a clap. Yeah, it's what. like they're, they're trying to do a, a new version of the oi chorus. Uh, oi punk would have been around at this time, wouldn't it? It's a really jarring change though because it's really obvious. It's not it's not mixed in well at all and I don't know what, why it's there. It's, it's, there's no need for it to be there. I don't know if it's possible because I've noticed it on this song and the last one. Like you're saying, Pete Gill was told to toe the line where mm-hmm. there are no fills. Maybe that's where there would have been a mad fill or something. But it's his drums are very competent, but they're not very flamboyant. So maybe that's why that <laughs> that weird sound was put in there. <sighs> I hate this song. <laughs> I mean, I I don't hate it. I, it's quite interesting. It's not just like a time capsule piece of music. You know, like the end as well, when he's just saying the claw and he just keeps going higher and higher. It's weird, dude. He is, he is burning his voice out doing it. And it's not in the greatest shape to begin with, really. No. Is it? You know, you think he'd be protective of it. It is, it is a proper scream. It's not even like a growl like we used to. It's a real scream, which is odd to hear from Levy, but just it's the whole subject of this where it, it's just about as not it's not mixed very well <laughs> there's that weird sound in it which is just really jarring and then him screaming at the end which doesn't fit either i don't think. and then that uh, it almost cringeworthy the line at the end and that's what my claw is for yeah <laughs> bless him what about uh the next track then mean machine so named after the vinnie jones vehicle Remember that movie, Jones movie, Mean Machine? Fucking great. Big city. 
yeah, some interesting <laughs> stuff going on in there. That weird bridge with the drums just like on the beat with the guitar. That was different. Oh, yeah, man, I just cool. the drums almost sound like there's the effects on them as well. It's not just like dumb. It's like it's that reverse. Yeah, almost echo again. So the Mean Machine is. I don't want to say it's about his dick. I think he's trying to write a song about a killing mean machine thing. He's just like, you know, he's trying to depict the all-powerful, which is another one of his things that he does. But then again... Go back and read the, the last two lyrics. Subliminally, maybe the, he's writing read. about his dick. The last two lyrics. No, no, the, not the... The last verse. The first two lines of the last verse. Unclean, fever dream, take a ride, mean machine, wet dream, bad scene, we don't care where it, you've been. It could be about his dick. It really could be about his dick. <laughs> you could just call the album that, though, really, couldn't you? Yeah, but that's what they did, the Orgasmatron. Oh, man. Um, what else can you say about that? You know, The drums are competent again, I suppose. Um, the weird thing with the solo, I think Wurzel and Phil might both play on the solo for this because it does seem to sort of cut in this... One solo seems all over the place and very fast and funky. And yeah. It's a bit more sort of crafted and follows the song a bit more. So it is cool to see that. And I suppose it's something different there that they, they've never had before because they've only ever had the one guitar. Player. I would have thought the agreement of them both being in the band was like, we'll both do bits of lead because uh, as the story goes, it was they were talking to each other while Lemmy was trying to decide who he should hire and they both came to Lemmy and said, why don't we both do it? Like, you know, they, they pitched the idea and Lemmy went, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So maybe that was one of the things they worked out. Yeah. We can say. Where's all but he's dead? Well. Yeah. Phil Campbell will tell you there's loads of interviews these days. We haven't met Phil, but it might be a good time to tell the story. We were in the queue, and I can't remember what tour this was, but they were playing the Apollo in Manchester, yes. and we'd been the pub around the corner, which I can never remember the name of. But anyway, there's a pub, like, if you go, if you look in directly at the Apollo, the Apollo in Manchester, do a right and just walk down the wall. And there's a pub at the end, which is always packed before yeah. gigs, but it's like the nearest pub. And I think we'd had a drink in there and the line was basically going up to the pub to get in. So we waited in that line and then some guy in front of us wouldn't let some guy barge in. He was almost like, I'm, I'm not letting him in. You know, we can go to the back of the queue. <laughs> And then he turned round. It was Phil Campbell wanting <laughs> to get in the stage door. It's <laughs> like, oh, really sorry. <laughs> uh, let's let's go to side B then, which the first track is in Orgasmatron. I go Orgasmatron to wait the end of this album, which is, is weird. But it's built for speed. You know what we're built for? We're built for speed.
They don't give you a lot of time to do so. They don't on this one, do they? Just banging on to the next one. So that was a long song that did not need to be that long. I, I think it's all right. It's a, it's, nice, a, it's a nice break from, because we've had quite a few fast songs. Yeah, that have just yeah. Been double it's, bass. it's served the purpose. But the fact that it's the first side, the first song on the first side, it's not much of a breaker, is it? Because by the time you flipped over the disc, you could have gone and done something else in the meantime. If, if I, you know, if that was something people did back then, who knows? Because <laughs> I was too busy trying to get through primary school to think about such things. It's such a, such a lemmy song, you know. You, you you know the rules, you know the game, you know what's right. Don't complain. I was born to rock and roll, everything I need. Born with a hammer down, but but what I want to talk about is the live version of this song because I remember this distinctly. I think it must be one of the DVDs I have because to be bent in my mind is clear. Before he starts playing it, he says, "So like, listen, everyone's born for something. Everyone dies for something. Everybody's born, but not everybody dies. Something along those lines. That can't be right because that makes no sense." But we were right. everybody's born, but not yeah, every yeah. Man but truly let me lives. get to the point. No, no, no. It's not that deep. He says, um, he says, but we're all lucky to be here because we all should have died a long fucking time ago. We're still here. You know why? Because we're built for speed. And then he plays. I, I don't know why that's just stuck with me for a long time. I thought like we're all lucky to be here because we all could have, should have, maybe died a long last time ago. Here we are. That's probably the most poignant thing of this song. It is, yeah. It's. It could be on like, the Eddie Clark albums. Yeah, yeah, on a it's more more bluesy, song. but it, yeah, it, the premise is, but then like the actual song itself, there's nothing in there. Yeah, it's even for a song that's about speed, it's very slow. <laughs> there's some nice bass work in it. Because we haven't heard a lot of Lemmy playing rather than just attacking the bass. In the studio book, he makes specific mention of using the Rickenbacker on this album. Is this like the first time he's used that? Did he always have that? He always had the Rickenbacker. Yeah. But like, you see the pictures, there's like the, the wood oak Rickenbacker and then there's the white bass with the uh, Born to Lose sticker on it. Oh, yeah. I'm not too sure what he used on the other albums, actually. I just thought he thought he had the Rickenbacker on it. The, the, in the studio book specifications are about the recording equipment, not about what they use yeah. itself, which is quite annoying. Maybe maybe a roadie will tell us. If, you, if you've ever roadied for Motorhead, get in touch and tell us. But there's the on the pictures on the sleeve. There's a picture of Bill Laswell in the studio. There's a picture of Pete Gill in the studio. What picture of them? Lemmy's in a dressing gown. <laughs> and he's wearing glasses in one of the pictures as well. But there is no. Um, there's no picture of him in the studio with a bass. So the next song, uh, the would-be album title, "Riding with the Driver." The driver. Hey, hey, see more of the uh, gang vocals that aren't for a gang.
So, um, I like that song. It's boss. Yeah, it's, uh, it was the would-be album title. Yeah. But it didn't happen because they uh, they apparently weren't happy with the way the song turned out, so they switched it. But I think that's odd. The memo didn't get to the guy who was designing the cover, so that's why they're no, trying on it. I do like, I do like Phil Campbell's assessment of, <laughs> of it, which I think we got to talk about. Forgot to talk about at the start when he said it's a train because Lemmy was really into trains. He was really into helicopters. It would have been a helicopter. <laughs> Brilliant. He's just like he's he's watched the train going and like, oh, it's quite metal when you think about it. All those moving parts and the steam and the fire and that. Like, and he's wrote a song about it, but then it's turned into like a murder train or something. Quite quite early, quite early on. I'm riding on the Thunder Chief, spitting the devil's eye. No force on earth can stop me now. I'd like to see them try. I mean, that's not the five fifteen to Margate, is it? That's no. just this. I mean, they could have called it Thunder Chief. That they or the album Thunder Chief. Uh, but this is this is a song where the mix works in the song, so yeah. you go rather than against it. Yeah, great drumming, just all, yeah. all the way through. Powerful stuff, stuff that's improved upon as time goes on. You know, uh, I think it sounds different on different albums. Maybe that's a sign of the times. Maybe it's a sign of the player. But it's a, it's it's on the right track. No ton, no pun intended. The thing that gets me as well, like, is the drums are really good on it, but. The drums on the claw sound like a train. Yeah. Why did they use that as the intro for this? This is what I'm saying. Why but this is smell the glove. There's so many bad decisions with this album. And just misplaced faith. Oh, it, it's frustrating, but hilarious at the same time. That's what happens when you have 11 days, I guess. But now the lyrics on this are bosses. It's just the opening line, Iron Child out of Vulcan's Forge, Metal Scream. It's, it's, it's so cool, isn't it? It's badass, man. It's like the the getting some sweet puss metaphors <laughs> are just, they dry up again, up unintended, so quick. There's only so much you can do with that. But then when there's just like a the fucking murder machine metaphors, you can do all sorts of that. You can... Pun intended. This time, you can drive that train into the ground, like you can just keep, keep fucking riding that thing, and they do. <laughs> There's you... so much to do with that, like black dragons breathing, black big black smoke howling up the track. Fucking yeah, dude. Yeah, that's a fact. I think he, um, unfortunately, I think he he made a train of coming. <laughs> There's not many other metal songs about trains I can think of apart from Mare, Death Clock's "Made a Train of Coming." Mm. All the other songs about blues songs are about a lot of blues songs are about trains. About what's the song on the end of the first album? I mean, it's a cover, like, but that's about a train. Oh yeah, um, train leaving here, something like that. Now nah, leaving here is a different song. It's like train are coming or something. Mm. I can't remember. That's because all metal blues songs are about songs like mm. uh, folk heroes, like Casey Jones jumping trains. Yes, which there apparently he. I thought. For years. You thought he was just a turtle. Yeah, <laughs> I think, well, not that, not the turtle. The man who's the rip off of Jason Voorhees with, he's no, got his hockey mask and his hockey stick. Riding a train high on cocaine, which is a Grateful Dead song. Yeah. So Grateful Dead probably just wrote about the folk dude. Well, apparently as well, he was killed while trying to stop a speeding train because it was his train and there was a stationary locomotive oh, no. in the way. Oh, and he did his best to try and stop the train. He's, he's known as a, a hero for, for attempting to stop her. I think he saved quite a few lives, I think. Well, there you go. There's something to take away from that. And the news just gets better because next is Dr. Rock. And Dr. Rock is one of my favourite fucking songs. All right. 
Can I can I just say top five? Top five. Top man. five. Absolutely. I, I I I'm not even sure I know why. It's it's fun. It's it's cool. It's it's thrashy. You know. It's it's got a great vibe to it. You can do live or on the album. It it works. It just it, works. It's a good rock and roll song. Even though I don't riding, care. It's not about anything. It's just it's just a good song. Even though riding with the driver is still like fast paced and yeah and everything like this comes on and it hits you yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's all right it's just, all right. It, it grabs you from word Sons one bitch, see and not only does it grab you it makes you stay with it because it's it's so weirdly engaging as well Start it's like finish, like here we are what's that scar i don't like anything i've seen so far it's just not what you hear in other songs it's it's it is i don't know if i'd have it in the top five but it's up there it's definitely my kind of thing. Especially my kind of, like, my kind of song. There's not a lot of this which survives into like the later sets, but this yeah, definitely <laughs> it's a staple of a good motorhead set after Rockman. And we wouldn't have but, it any other way. Whether it's to open a gig or just you know, how the crowds are getting a bit they get they're on a bit of a down after like an hour and yeah. play it now. <laughs> It's it's better than this last one, which is five minutes long. <laughs> five minutes long. And it's the title track, and it's called Orgasmatron. Gasmatron. Well, apparently, you, Lemmy did not know that that was a thing before he started writing it. I think how annoying that must have been to come up with such a cool word like Orgasmatron and use it as this great metaphor for everything that sycophants fucking go wet for. And then, oh yeah, it's been used in a movie before. Sorry. You know. Especially like Woody Allen as well. <laughs> like Woody Allen or Barbarella or some shit. Who knows? But here's a, a quote I want to read you about this uh, from the in the studio book, which is taken from another interview. Uh, he says, "Asked what the song about." It's uh, he says, "Quote: 
The three things that I hate most in life. Organised religion, politics and war. Things like people that go to church and come in their pants while communicating with Jesus Christ. It's all a bunch of bullshit. If you're really if you're really into that, you don't need to go to church to talk to God. You can talk to him anyway, you know? Or you can join a political party and get your jollies off of that when your party wins and all that. It's herd instinct. The same thing with war. They give you a nice new uniform and march you off to die. See, I always, I never even bother to think what the hell is this song about, but it it is just about like the the uniformity of uniformity of desire, I guess. Like you know, look at our army, look at our country, look at our god, like look how great we are. Jack ourselves off, jack ourselves off. It's all about reaching the climax, isn't it? We're so great. I like how it's because it is like each verse is like it follows the same pattern, but they're about like three completely different things, and it. True. True. It's they it just works really well. The I just don't like the song. The lyrics are so it's, well. Yeah, it's up. it's a weird song on its own. Like it's not something you would jam on the car in a summertime drive, is it? It's it's like even like the guitar, like like the second string guitar, like boom, 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 boom. It's just made to sound like spooky background music. Like, it's made I, to f- it's made to sound unsettling. Yeah, it's it's a weird song. <laughs> It's it's almost wasted the, with the lyrics on it, man. I I twist the truth. I rule the world. My crown is called deceit. That's badass. I know, like every line in this. Is every really line of well this crafted. is the kind of thing that would turn on a teenage metalhead so much. It's like, yeah, this is what fucking music should be about, man. And it, here it is in this this weird song on the last song on this weird album. That's fair. I don't I don't like it, but I don't dislike it. Yeah, it's I get it's you. an oddity that it almost feels like it should be like its own separate thing, but I don't know what the hell they use it for. Like, as he talks about how you know some songs like Lemmy did that song with Dave Grohl in Proba, yeah, or he did the stuff uh, for the WWE and everything. And it's like the game, it's good to listen King to. of Kings and Evolution. Yeah. Like, it's good to listen to, like, separately as not part of an album. This kind of feels like it should be that. Yeah. This isn't even at the stage where they were just putting on, like, the experimental song pair album, was it? This is just, like, let's just do this song as part of the whole album. But then to make it, like, the name of the album as well is is peculiar. A lot of weird choices. I've come around to your point of view of this being the smell of the glove of the catalog. But at least it's not the shit sandwich, you know? (laughs) There you go. Zippo Shark Sandwich <laughs> Two word review Shit Sandwich <laughs> It's review just says Shit Sandwich I need to go back And watch that movie Yeah me too But um In terms of other things To say about this album uh, There is an interesting point Where P- Peter Gill says That um, They all got together To write the music But Lemmy did insist On writing all the lyrics which is something we asked before, like how do you think that system went? And he did write all the lyrics himself, but everyone does get a writing credit, so he was just being cool and mm-hmm. showing them around, you know. They got it done quick because even though there were new people in there, that's how well-oiled that machine was, the yeah. Motorhead machine itself. As you say, they've been touring for three years. Yeah, non-stop Four touring, years. even though well, they were without an album, I mean, without a label even. Yeah, because I mean, this was recorded, was it late 86? Yeah, 86. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've been touring for basically since the new lineup. And say I think No Remorse was like a test to see how they do, and because it was so popular yeah. on tour. And this is off the back of um, 
another perfect day as well, which, let's be honest, might have lost a few fans. They, they had yeah. to work to make a living at this point to keep the fans they had happy. I, I doubt they were playing much from another perfect day on that to yeah. us. Well, this is, this is their own label, isn't it? It's not... They've done this off their own back. Mm. And then shot it around. And it only peaked at 21 as well. Oof. But it does start the, the beginning of the new day. You know, this is the sound to come. I, I, would you say that the, the next album sounds a lot like this? I think there's a 90s yeah. period of Motorhead. When you can like hear a song and go like, oh yeah, that's from the, the 90 period. Yeah, but this is the... Th- this is why I would have preferred Robbo to stay and add at least one more Robbo album because I could. This is the best we get, I think, until the nineties. I think this rock and roll and like right, I'll go back and listen to it, but I was never a fan of nineteen sixteen. Like, there's some good stuff on there, but there's some stuff I just don't like. I don't think they really find the stride until bastards yeah um like i say there there is like a sound of these last these next few albums they have their own sound and it's not uh, the best sound this this don't get me wrong dr rocks on this album i'm gonna take that as a top five it's not completely wasted albums there's a lot of good stuff on there it's just in terms of the whole back catalog which is what we're doing here it's not top of the pile it's very up and down to, to be fair though we've had We've had Iron Fist, which is a classic lineup. So, another perfect day. Eddie leaves, Robbo's in. Mm-hmm. That's a different lineup. Then, Phil and Robbo gone. Yep. Peace, Wurzel, <laughs> and Phil on this album. After this, Pete goes. <laughs> Phil's back okay, so a lot of for up rock and roll. So we're on. What are we on? What are we on there? So we're on the fourth album there with a different lineup. Phil leaves again. <laughs> and then we get Mickey. So there's six albums there with all different lineups. So it's it's not really surprising that it is up and down a lot. Um, Actually, do you know what? There, there might even be more than that because I'm sure I'm missing out an album or two then. But even, even for the next album, it's a different lineup again. Yep. It takes a while to find the feet, is what we're saying. But we're going to go through all these albums because, A, that's what we're doing here, and, B, I think you do need to listen to all the things to find the the, the struggle of finding the path. You know? So go on. Takeaways from this album. How great a song is Dr. Rock? Orgasmatron was pretty cool, and, and, you know, good on them for at least giving the reins to someone else to go, like, you know, let, let's try this your way. And even though they did eventually go, like, Nah, you're always terrible. Let's go back and fix that. Or oh, we don't have enough time. Shit, let's compromise and do this. It's like it definitely like the the song. In terms of the best song on the album, it's Doctor Rock, by far. by far. The one I think that's its best in the mix is Death Forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other takeaways from that check is the cover actually. Great cover. Great cover. The other takeaways are. Eight My Crime, uh, oh, Riding with the Driver's Boss as well. Actually, do you know what? It's, it's not a bad album. Yeah. It's just flawed. There are some really good songs on there, but there's some really bad songs on there, unfortunately. Um, it could have been so much better. Say, <laughs> <laughs> so, Slavie, have you got like a favourite lyric? Yeah. <sighs> 
I like the imagery in Doctor Rock's box. Yeah. Um, you've got a body mark like the Marshall stand. <laughs> right, you've got to have that, don't you? Um, just the riding with the driver lyrics as well. That opening line of riding with the driver, iron shelled out of Vulcan's forge, metal screaming fresh. That's amazing. This Death one. forever, just all the lyrics in that. Yeah, it's some top form stuff. Like, Orgasmatron just reads so well. I mean, obsequious and arrogant, clandestine in vain, 2,000 years of misery and torture in my name. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you don't you don't get better than that. It's just... Yeah, I don't see forever. how you could write that song any faster, really. It's, and then when they played Orgasmatron live and it was like the, like the lights went down and went green and stuff, that was cool, man. Do you know what? Looking back, apart apart from the claw and <laughs> got a lot the of bloody the claw, magician song, whatever it was, <laughs> the lyrics are amazing on this. Like it's, I don't know if they were just written ten minutes before <laughs> they were used to be recorded. Uh, but apparently, he did run off, write lyrics, and come back a lot. Yeah, I think he, it shows. Like, <laughs> the lyrics are amazing for the majority on on this album, and it it's a really good album. It's just. It's just flaws, and I think all it would take is if that original mix aired somehow, and I think we turn around to a few more songs on this. Mm. I mean, there's no saving Claw and nothing up my sleeve, unfortunately. But all the other songs are pretty boss. There's only two songs which I'm like, yeah, just get rid of that. Like, everything else is pretty is pretty cool. Let's leave that there then, because that, that was a long one. There was, but there was a lot to talk about there. Yes. So next, um, rock and roll. Rock and roll, <clears throat> and, and rock and roll to you, man, <laughs> and rock and roll to everybody, and the end. 